This is a podcast by The Straits Times and Money FM 89.3. time to shift our attention to headlines coming out of the U.S. And there are quite a few of them. Key takeaways from U.S. President Joe Biden's first presidential trip to the Middle East. We've also got former U.S. President Donald Trump returning to Washington, D.C. for the first time since he left office. And we have the possibility of Trump being a distraction to the Republicans. They are busy keeping themselves up for the midterm elections. Let's get some analysis from these headlines from Nirmal Ghoshi as we are chief for the Straits. Times. Nirmal, good morning. Thanks for helping us out. Let's start off with Saudi Arabia's de facto leader, Crown Prince Mohammed bin Salman. Now, he's hit back at President Joe Biden after he confronted him about the 2018 murder of Saudi journalist Jamal Khashoggi during a meeting between the two leaders last week. Could you set the backstory for us here? Why does Biden still see the need to confront the Crown Prince on this issue? Well, Jamal Khashoggi, who was a critic and wrote for the Washington Post, was killed inside the Saudi consulate in Istanbul in October 2018. His body was dismembered inside the embassy, apparently. It was particularly horrible. U.S. intelligence concluded that it was likely that Mohammed bin Salman gave the order at some point to eliminate him. Well, three years ago, President Biden, during his election campaign, very clearly and categorically said he would make the Saudis, quote, pay the price and make them, in fact, the pariah that they are, unquote. The reality is, as president, he has to have a working relationship with the Saudis because of oil, because of intelligence sharing and because of a perceived common adversary, which is Iran. This is in America's longer term strategic interest. That's the calculation. So there was a lot of focus, particularly in the American media, on whether he would shake hands or fist bump or whatever he would do when meeting the crown prince. Remember, American values is a big part of the Biden administration's foreign policy. So how was he going to reconcile standing up for values like freedom and democracy while meeting an autocratic ruler whose people murdered a journalist? That was the paradox he had to navigate. In the event, as we know, it was a fist bump, which inevitably has become the defining image. But he was bound to look bad pretty much whatever the case. And by the way, he is being criticized both by the left and the right out here. We just heard the Republican governor of Arizona, Ducey, saying the president is meeting with murderers for oil when he should be instead focusing on opening up and increasing domestic energy supply. So that's another issue. Anyway, so he had to meet and sit with the crown prince and he raised the Khashoggi killing at the top of the meeting. And the Crown Prince said he had nothing to do with it. And apparently during the course of their discussions, the Crown Prince also raised what he called mistakes that America has made, including the torture and abuse of prisoners in Iraq. Okay, normal. Second issue, uh, U.S. President Joe Biden over the weekend capped a four-day trip to Israel and Saudi Arabia. We were talking a little bit about that, the first trip to the Middle East since he took office. Let's get some key takeaways from this trip. I mean... What exactly did he achieve here or was he made to sort of compromise on a few things? What are your thoughts? 
Yes, an interesting trip, certainly. Four days during which he met with Israeli officials, Palestinian officials, Saudi leaders, and with the GCC, the Gulf Cooperation Council. Now, one of the objectives was to get some relief on oil prices back home, where Americans are now living with roughly 9% inflation, the highest in 40 years. There was no immediate breakthrough on that front, but the president said he was optimistic that oil-producing countries will boost global supply in coming months. There is an OPEC+, plus, that's Organization of Petroleum Exporting Countries, OPEC+, plus meeting of oil-producing nations next month, and the White House expects something will emerge from that. The other takeaway in the broader geopolitical sense was a sort of inching, you could call it, towards normalization of the Saudi-Israel relationship. Saudi Arabia opened its airspace to all airlines, including those flying to and from Israel. This is a big deal. And the president called it, quote, the first tangible step on the path of what I hope will eventually be a broader normalization of relations, unquote. The president, of course, also reiterated U.S. assurances and guarantees to Israel. And as usual, Iran loomed large. The U.S. is trying to work out a new deal with Iran to stop it from proceeding towards nuclear weaponization. You recall Donald Trump pulled the U.S. out of the 2015 deal, which Israel was never happy with. There are some differences still between Israel and the U.S. over this. President Biden was touting diplomacy, but Israel's Prime Minister Yair Lapid believes diplomacy will not stop Iran. Only the threat of use of force will stop them. This is not something entirely new. The idea that Israel might unilaterally take some action against Iran has been on the cards. The free world should use force, the Premier Lapid said. But President Biden told an Israeli TV channel that use of force should be the last resort. And the Saudis and the UAE are also not in favor of the Israeli approach. This podcast is available on our audio app. That's A-W-E-D-I-O. Like us and rate us. And now, back to our podcast episode. All right, I've been speaking with Nirmal Ghosh, U.S. Bureau Chief for The Straits Times. Former U.S. President Donald Trump returned to Washington, D.C. Well, he's scheduled to return for the first time since he left office. That should happen sometime this month. What's his main agenda for going back to D.C.? Can we expect him to perhaps talk about a second term as president? Or in your opinion, do you think maybe that ship has sailed? Donald Trump will continue to tease a second run. That's what he does to keep up the tension and also flush out rivals. He also needs to stay on the offensive. That's, again, what he does. And it is possibly more important now than ever that he shows his strength with his political base. Given the January 6th House Select Committee's hearings, the last of those will also be televised this week. And there is a lot of speculation as to whether the committee will refer the case to the Justice Department for a criminal indictment. So here in D.C., and this will be his first trip since he left office, he will deliver the closing address at the end of a two-day meeting, the first summit, they call it, of an organization called the America First Policy Institute. Again, will he talk about a potential second run? It is very likely that he will. Will he actually announce it? That is anyone's guess. But it is early and he likes to prolong the suspense. So we'll see. All right, a bit of drama there. Uh, The Republicans are also working hard in making sure they take back the House and Senate in November's midterm elections. You know, you've got Trump going back to D.C. Would you consider this perhaps a distraction the party needs at this point? Do you even think they need this? And how can or will Trump cause a Republican to perhaps lose focus on the midterms? 
Well, yes and no. Donald Trump's endorsements mean something to the Republican candidates he endorses. Sure, the hold over his base, the hold over the party is something the party has to contend with. And right now, it is a thin line and it is getting thinner. Is Donald Trump an asset or a liability? There are a lot of factors in play. The biggest is the January 6 hearings and what happens next. Will they irretrievably damage him as a viable candidate or will he be able to forge on regardless? It is a dilemma for the party, but there are many moving parts and the impact on the midterms is at the moment far from clear. I do think, though, that even if the party is distracted, individual candidates will stay focused in their races and on the issues. And the midterms themselves will also show to some degree what Donald Trump's prospects are if he is still in the game. Final issue I want to look at, Nirmal. A federal judge in Tennessee has temporarily blocked the Biden administration directives allowing transgender workers and students to use bathrooms and locker rooms and join sports teams that correspond with their gender identity. Okay, is this a sign that Biden's proposal could possibly face multiple hurdles? I mean, what is the Biden administration's proposal to overhaul these rules? Yes, so Title IX guidance prohibits discrimination based on gender identity and sexual orientation. But this temporary order, it's temporary, of course, was obtained by a coalition of 20 Republican state attorneys general who argued that it goes against their state laws. And because of that, states implementing their own laws would face the threat of losing significant federal funding because of this contradiction. The states also argued that forcing schools to use transgender students' pronouns is illegal under the First Amendment and that the Education Department violated an act which delegates certain powers to the states. Definitely a hurdle. The Biden administration, in fact, wants to expand the ambit of Title IX, which could mean broader protections for LGBTQ students, clearer processes for reviewing sexual assault and harassment issues and so forth. But it doesn't cover another controversial issue, which is transgender people in sports. So back to this ruling, it is likely a shot from those states saying we don't want this. We are not ready for this. Definitely a hurdle. All right, I've been speaking with Nirmal Ghoshi as Bureau Chief for The Straits Times. The Asian Insider Podcast channel is also available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, and our audio app. That's A-W-E-D-I-O. Like us and rate us.